Good morning. Welcome to this Eurective virtual conference uh, titled The Sustainable Use of Pesticides Regulation Navigating the Path to a Greener EU. I'm Julia Dam. I'm an agri-food journalist at Eurective and I'll be moderating the discussion today. So over the past decades, pesticides have helped bring higher and more stable yields to the EU by protecting harvests from being damaged or even destroyed by pests. But on the other hand, they've also had a range of negative consequences on biodiversity, on the environment, on human health. So against this backdrop, and also as part of its sustainable food flagship policy, the Farm to Fork strategy, the European Commission has tabled a proposal for revamped pesticides regulation. And among other things, this foresees an ambitious target of slashing both the use and the risk of pesticides in half across the EU by 2030. So since this proposal was published last summer, I think it's fair to say that it's made big waves and stoked a lot of controversy. So on the side of national governments in the EU, they've been far from pleased with the proposal. In December, the EU member states requested additional information on the impact of the legislation from the Commission, especially uh, with a view to the impact on food production after the Ukraine war brought the question of food security back into the spotlight. And on the side of the European Parliament, the proposal has also been fiercely fought over. While the Greens uh, spearhead changed to the charge to keep up or to even increase the ambition of the proposal, uh, the EPP has been kind of leading the group of those who say the proposal is unfeasible and will be harmful to food security. So to sum up, I think it's fair to say that there's a lot more difficult talks to be had until an agreement can be reached on this highly political file. And that's why I'm especially excited today to have the opportunity to discuss this with a, with a range of uh, very diverse panelists, let's say. So let's give a warm welcome to them. Uh, with us, we have, uh, not quite yet, but very soon, uh, Michelle Rivasi. She's a member of the European Parliament for the Greens, and she's uh, also a member of the newly founded Subcommittee for Health in the European Parliament. Next up, we have Diana Lenzi. She's uh, the president of the EU Young Farmers Association, CEJA, and also herself a young farmer in Tuscany. Um, also representing the farming side, we have Paula de Vera, senior policy advisor at Covacojeca, the biggest EU agriculture uh, umbrella organization. Um, we have Martin Dermin, executive director of the Pesticide Action Network Europe, uh, also known as PAN. Europe. And last but not least, with us, we have Jennifer Lewis, Executive Director at the International Biocontrol Manufacturers Association. So Jennifer will be able to tell us a bit about uh, what alternatives there are for plant protection. Okay, so um, let's jump right into it and hear from the panelists directly. As Michelle is not quite there yet, we'll start with Diana for your opening statement, please. Good morning, Julia. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, first of all. I think it's very important to, to have this debate. I think uh, the more we talk about it and the more we start taking out probably uh, ideology, a little bit too much politics and then a little bit too much numerology from this very sensitive uh, file and the further actually we can proceed in something that I feel, uh, both as uh, president of CESIA, but also as a farmer myself, as a very important way of advancing in how we think uh, farming for the future. I think that we are at a moment in, in time and in history when we can start uh, 
doing some analysis on how we have gone uh, about in plant, in plant protection. And we may start thinking about how we want to reshape and remodel the way we do plant protection. But again, I think that this is a, a debate that needs uh, science to be the lead because nonetheless, farmers need to be able to protect their crops. Uh, in a time of rising challenges, may it be from climate change, may it be from the effects that climate change is also bringing uh, in having new numerous pests uh, attacking our crops all over Europe, we do need the instruments uh, that are necessary in order to ensure the health of our crops for our harvest and therefore the food for our markets. This is, uh, this is the basis. This is what plant protection products are there for. So we can most definitely have a debate on what has been done wrong. Probably we, we have come from a chemical revolution that has put a lot of products on the market. Now we have a capacity to see in a greater depth the ones that are beneficials and the ones that have too many negative outputs. And on those, we can start looking at what we want to do to replace them. Because the one thing that we know we have to do is figure out replacement methods, because we still have to make sure that we are ensuring the health of our crops and of our harvests. So I'm very um, pleased that we are capable of being here together and having this debate and making sure that it is we depolarize this discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. I'm pleased as well uh, to be able to have this discussion. And I see that Michelle has arrived. Welcome, Michelle. Um, are you ready to give us your opening statement as well? Yes, do you hear me? Yes, Hello. we hear you well. Perfect. Ah, we go ahead. Okay, super. Oh, <clears throat> uh, well, good day for all the, all the members of this uh, work. Uh, this recommendation is very important now. Uh, you see our reporter, Sarah Wiener, uh, uh, want to reduce the use of pesticide, uh, 50%, and we want to uh, increase the, uh, the organic uh, way uh, for the agriculture uh, land. But for me, I have a subject and uh, it is very important for me. Uh, it's about the pesticide forbidden in Europe. I don't understand and I explain to the commission, explain to the member of this parliament that we export 18,000 tonnes by year of pesticide forbidden in Europe, and we export that in uh, Ameri Latin America, in Africa, and no problem at all. We protect the health of uh, uh, cit European citizens and not African health. And in Brazil, for instance, it's uh, I think it's a country where there is the most pesticide exported. So uh, I try to uh, to convince Commission to to find a way to forbidden that because for health, for ethic, uh, for the residue, because it's like boomerang. You see, they come after 
in Europe with uh, residue in food. And uh, I think that it is uh, uh, not acceptable at all. Uh, and I hope this reglementation, because uh, you see, uh, Sarah Wiener want to say, we don't speak about phytopharmaceutic uh, product, we speak about pesticide. <laughs> we change the world. And it's uh, very symbolic, but it shows that it is pesticide and not uh, phytopharmacology like uh, medicine. Uh, it's uh, uh, a product very dangerous. And second thing that I want to say, it's about the report that uh, 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 that comes from uh, European Agency of Environmental, we show uh, the effect on health, health for the bees, for insects, and so on, and for the farmer, uh, about the disease like uh, neurology, like cancer, and so on. And uh, they show also that we must change of model. And that is very important uh, to change the model to reduce all these pesticides. Because these pesticides want to kill the life. It's that the problem. They, they kill the life. It's not only insect, it's bird, it's ecosystem. And after, it's a human. So we must be very strict with this, uh, uh, with this subject. And we must... Uh, we have to be very courageous and uh, we are uh, uh, strong to, to, to get a good compromise to make an evolution about this regulation. Well, it's my introduction, but you see, I must fight against this pesticide. Thank you, Michelle. Definitely a lot of points that we're going to come back on afterwards. Uh, but for now, let's pass on to Paula for your opening statement. Thank you, Julia. <clears throat> Sorry. Good morning, everyone. So as you were mentioning, I'm from Copanco Jacar, representing farmers and cooperatives of the European Union. Uh, first of all, being very quick, because afterwards we will have a question and answer session, of course. Uh, I will want to stress, of course, the, the importance and the how proud of the farmers and cooperatives, of course, are as producers of food, uh, feed and non-food products here in the EU that are high quality, safe and, and nutritious. Um, just some remarks maybe for to introduce us as well the debate today. First of all, um, and following also the line of, of Diana, I mean, we all agree on the importance of uh, being sustainable. Uh, in all aspects and uh, increasing our standards as much as we can. Uh, of course, while reducing the environmental impact of every activity, not just farming, but of course, this is a, a collective effort of all the, the industries and sectors. And, um, and at the same time, remain competitive and remain, uh, let's say, visible in the, in the international market and in the international context that we live in. But we must uh, as well acknowledge, especially in the current socioeconomic situation, the challenges that we are finding, particularly in finding suitable alternatives for um, replacing, uh, as Diana was mentioning, the, the chemicals that we are using, for instance, now, even considering the, the following uh, of um, 
integrated pest management that we are very proud of following uh, as much as we can, considering the tools that we have on the table. In this regard, we also feel that the targets for the use and risk, uh, for the reduction of use and risk of chemical pesticides um, by 2030 are a little bit over ambitious, especially uh, because considering that we haven't seen sufficient agronomic or scientific justification that can uh, allow us to understand why these targets were set like that in the first place. And of course, they will harm countries that have already made significant process in reducing the use of these substances. Um, in this regard as well, we feel that it's essential that we strike a balance between, between sustainability and also feasibility to continue producing and supplying food and agricultural products to our consumers. Uh, we feel that there are several parts of the, the, the let's say, the, the SUR, the Sustainable Use Regulation, that should be very carefully tackled. And we need to be careful on how these uh, measures become mandatory for, for farmers. Last but not least, just to mention one concept that we feel that is not the right approach is the one size fits all. We feel that that is not the, the right way to reduce the environmental footprint and the um, and the use of chemicals and hazardous pesticides, and we need proposals that are realistic and achievable. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paula. Definitely raising some issues there that uh, cut right to the chase of um, what's contentious about this uh, this file, the the reduction targets, and also how they're measured in terms of the baseline. We're, we're definitely going to talk about that uh, later in the discussion as well. Uh, but for now, I turn to you, Martin, for your opening statement, please. Thank you, Julia, and good morning, everybody. Um, from a civil society perspective, I would say that the level of awareness on the toxicity of pesticides uh, at citizens' level is, is very important in Europe. They are very much aware that uh, uh, there is no safe use of pesticides, that they damage the environment, pollinators, and also health. Um, and I would add to that, uh, and this is not so much known from the public, is that the main victims of uh, pesticide use are farmers themselves uh, who face an increased uh, amount of a series of pathologies uh, due to exposure to pesticides. Uh, so there are big expectations from the civil society to reduce pesticide use. It is very clear. It has been expressed several times. We had two European citizens initiative asking for um, an important reduction in pesticide use. Recently, a successful one, the Save Bees and Farmers, um, was presented in the Parliament uh, and addressed by the Commission. There is also the Conference for the Future of Europe, where citizens are asking for a significant reduction in pesticide use. And every year, EU barometers point at the fact that citizens are um, afraid of the contamination of their food uh, by pesticides. So uh, with this Green Deal, the Farm to Fork, and this uh, proposal for a sustainable use of pesticides regulation, uh, the Commission is showing that the EU is not only about uh, business, but also about uh, um, protecting health and the environment, which we feel is very good. Um, and um, as it was uh, uh, mentioned earlier by uh, Diana and, uh, um, and Paula, there is uh, a need for better crop protection. And there is, and I think it's important to say as well, a reduction in the uh, number of act pesticide active substances that are available. The most toxic ones are gradually being phased out from the market, but there are also 
usually very efficient uh, substances. So farmers need to, to adapt and change practices. And uh, we feel that this um, uh, commission proposal comes at a right time to, to, to push and to help in this transition towards integrated pest management to adapt to this inevitable reduction in number of active substances. And this will continue because still dozens of highly toxic compounds will be phased out from the market in the coming years. Um, pesticides is a topic that is unfortunately dividing the society, um, opposing on the one hand farmers and uh, citizens, which I think is really not good. Uh, and we hope that this uh, commission proposal will also help uh, the public having a positive image from the farming community uh, with this reduction in pesticide use. Thanks, Martin. That's a good message, I think. Um, okay, then last but not least, let's turn to Jennifer with your opening statement. Good morning, Julia, and uh, everyone listening. And thank you, Neuroactive, um, for the invitation. So, indeed, I think one area. Yeah, in different. It's still Martin talking here. Can you can you hear me? Yes, now it's perfect. Okay, go ahead. Okay, right. Thanks. Okay, so thank you, everyone. Um, I was just saying that indeed, I think there's one area where I'm hearing from the discussion already that uh, we can agree, and that uh, seems to be the importance of some sort of transition in uh, in agriculture. And we all seem to want uh, to move towards alternatives um, and we want them quickly, but they have to be right for farmers and uh, for food production. So that brings me on to biocontrol, which is indeed an alternative and uh, indeed a, a game changer with the sustainable use regulation. And in fact, is what we need to make this transition to sustainable agriculture. And I'd actually like to start by thanking the Commission for delivering this important proposal. So biological control is actually identical to nature. It regulates pest and disease control. And just to explain a little, for example, you might have pheromones that where you might have um, a pheromone that distracts the male of a pest by using a female sex pheromone and the male can't find the female. And then you have no larva and then you have no maggot and then your apples actually have no maggot in them. So they're, they're pest free. Or you might have an insect that controls another insect. So you might have a lacewing larvae, for example, that eats an aphid. That's what biological control is. And what are the benefits? The benefits, when we think about agriculture, we think about food, plants, crops, productivity. But we also think about soil health, biodiversity, environment, ultimately human health. And all these things are improved immediately if we use biological control. The sustainable use of plant protection products, the regulation, is not just about pesticides, which is chemistry. It's also about biological control. In fact, we need the sustainable use regulation to facilitate the move to alternatives. And without the SOAR, the sustainable use regulation, we will not have these alternatives. We actually need to use the sewer to lead the mindset change. We really need these alternatives to help 
farmers to regenerate their farms. Um, we have a new generation of farmers sitting here on this panel. Um, and they need farms to be productive and farms that are able to manage biodiversity at the same time. This isn't easy. It doesn't just happen. Um, it requires work and knowledge. And what we can do with a sustainable use regulation is move towards that. Thank you. Thank you. Some fascinating insights there. I didn't know that biocontrol could be breaking the hearts of insects and depriving them of their partners. Uh, that's fascinating. Okay, um, before we jump into the discussion, let's just go over some housekeeping points quickly. Um, now, this is uh, an interactive event. So we, we want it to be as interactive as possible as well. So please don't hesitate to send us your questions for the panelists. To do this, you can just type them in the Q&A box that you see on the right. Uh, and please identify yourself, who you are or who you're representing. And also importantly, please say to whom you'd like to address your question on the panel. And I'll pass on the questions throughout the whole discussion. So feel free to already start asking some questions. I see some people have already started. That's great. Um, and you can also join the debate on Twitter by using the hashtag EA debates. All right, uh, enough of that. Let's jump right into it. And maybe let's start by taking a little step back and talk about why we're even discussing the reduction of pesticides use. So maybe Martin, you can walk us through a little bit what is actually the, the impact or the risk of current pesticide use that we have in the EU? Why do we even need to act in the first place? Right, thank you. As I was mentioning in my uh, introductory remarks, um, Pesticides are being constantly phased out from the market and often substances that were used for 30, 40 years, they were considered safe. And then the more scientific evidence we have, the more we realize that they are not safe. Um, and in general, pesticides, synthetic pesticides have an impact on uh, human health and the environment, not only specifically on the pests that they are supposed to destroy. So this is a fact, it's proven by, by all these substances that are leaving the market and also by countless scientific publications um, confirming that the way we produce food currently is not sustainable uh, and is destroying even the, the pollinators uh, that farmers rely on to, to, to produce our food. So um, the current model of agriculture is unsustainable for health and, and the environment, but also if you look at, um, and this is a more general concept, uh, the farming community, the biodiversity of farmers, the number of farms, the number of farmers is reducing. We're losing farms, we're losing farmers um, because of this intensive model of agriculture that the EU had decided to put us in. Uh, and that we really need to uh, to transition now towards a more virtuous uh, path. Thank you. So maybe Diana, um, Martin mentioned earlier that pesticides also have a, a negative impact on farmers themselves, uh, on as people and on their yields. So um, what do you think? Do you think we need an ambitious reduction, or do you think something like the fifty percent reduction that the Commission proposed? would have too much of an impact on, on yields? Um, so I don't, 
I'm sorry, I just don't really like talking about numbers. I don't think that the number or, or pinning down the number is what is going to get us where we actually want to be, which is in a more sustainable way of farming. Um, I, I agree on everything Martin said, except for maybe one thing. I'm not sure that it's the model that the EU imposed that is reducing the number of farms or making farming not attractive for a new generation uh, that could be uh, or would like to be involved in farming. It's the fact that the profitability of farms due to a number of elements is very, very low. And no young person in their right set of mind would ever walk into a career that has a number of very complicated elements that go way beyond what a normal career could be. I mean, when your boss is climate and mother nature every day, you really are the boss of nothing. Um, I think that's already a constraint enough, but then you're also not profitable and you cannot really provide for your families or you are in rural areas where you are kind of left alone. Um, I would say that's the biggest constraint. So what we need to do and what I completely agree on is how do we reshape EU agriculture where we put all of the elements that are necessary. Again, the safety of farmers to me is one of the most important things. So anything we do in order to make sure that we are making farmers work in a safer way, that they are not getting ill because of the products they're using, that they are trained on how to properly use products, that they are trained on what alternatives they could use, that this knowledge reaches every single farmer in every single province of Europe, then that, that makes me happy. This is how we move forward. And I'm not sure that it's a target towards the reduction of a specific element or a specific, it's not the number that is going to give us the result. Um, I know probably giving a target is, is, is a way to move forward in the ambition. I would say that in general, what we need to do is create a new farming community where we can actually, I wouldn't say certify, but for example, make sure that we are um, professionalizing farmers in a way that also in the way that they do plant protection, they are using the best possible solutions, the least impactful for nature, that this is still making sure that they are achieving excellent yields, that these yields, because of all of that, are being properly remunerated on the market, that consumers recognize the fundamental role that farmers are doing in providing safe food and safe environments for Europe. And then, then we're all working in a systemic way where sustainability puts farmers and consumers on the same side of of a transition. Okay, the um, number yeah, is kind of somewhere in the middle, and then we'll see what it is. <laughs> we're definitely going to talk about ways to support farmers through the transition as well. But uh, I'm sorry, I do want to stick with the number for a little bit. Um, so, Michelle, let's maybe turn to you. Do you think? Are you worried that the a reduction target of fifty percent? could have a significant impact on yields uh, for farmers in the EU? Well, when I hear you, I want to, to have a question. Uh, why the farmer don't reduce the use of pesticide during several years? Because it's not today that we know the toxicity of pesticide. It makes 10, 20 years ago. 
And uh, uh, in France, we have some target uh, from uh, 2018. We say we have to reduce uh, uh, 50%, for example. And it's not the case. We increase the use of pesticides. Alors, what is the problem? It's a problem of knowledge. It's a problem to uh, follow the farmer to explain that we must, we have to reduce the pesticide and to make sanction. Uh, what is the best way? Because uh, I don't believe you now. Uh, all the time we say we must reduce and we increase the use. When all our ecosystems are dead, how can we do? And we say all the time, uh, you say the food security in Europe is threatened by a reduction in pesticide. It's just the opposite. We depend on pesticide. We depend on uh, intrant, uh, you see phosphate and, uh, and so on. Uh, we have a lot of illness because we have resistance against pesticide. You are for the technology by OGM, and we know the consequence about that. How, and I, I want to know to Diana and to Paula, how can we change the model of agriculture? What is the obstacle to change the model? Because you see, in France, I know very well the farmer. They are very big farm now, very big, with big tractor, with big material and so on. And uh, they use a lot of pesticides because there is very a few salariés who work with them. And they use a lot of money with the pack, with agriculture, uh, politic, uh, agricole, commune. Uh, and, uh, I don't know now. I don't know how to convince agriculture to change the practice. What do you think right about on that? To, yeah, let's have pass the question right on to, uh, to Paula. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the chance to answer to that. And also, if you'd like to comment on the, um, the reduction target and the impact you think it could have or maybe uh, doesn't have to have on yields. Yeah, thank you, Julia. Uh, thank you very much for, for the question. Um, well, I think there are several factors that we need to, to consider here. I will address first what Mrs. Rivasi was uh, mentioning on the time. I think that is a very key word uh, for the future and also for the past. Uh, it's true that, yeah, we, well, first of all, we, we know, of course, that there are substances that are um, toxic, that can be toxic. We need to also remember one of the main principles of toxicology, that is everything in excess is toxic, even water, first of all. Secondly, um, on the other hand, everything in the right dosage can be probably uh, well used, and that applies to every substance of every nature. Um, that's just to put some princi uh, basic principles on the table. Um, on the other hand, I mean, we, from, from the farmer's perspective and the cooperatives, we fully acknowledge that, of course, 
And actually, as Mrs. Rivasi was mentioning, this is not new. I mean, we have a sustainable use directive actually since 2009. And there are some farmers that also have been uh, for generations trying to improve those systems. Uh, even through mechanization, I mean, um, uh, I think Mrs. Rivasi was mentioning the, the use of tractors. I mean, that was a adva technological advance uh, at one moment to, let's say, help us well uh, be more efficient in the fields. But also that has developed during several decades. And actually, we are now aiming, everyone is aiming to use these technologies and these uh, machines for a more targeted application of not talking about chemicals about anything that can be applied even for biocontrol i probably jennifer can agree with me on that we always want to have the most targeted application and the dosage that just the plant need not just putting pesticides or plant protection products because of reasons i don't know because of anything uh, I think we are all very, very aware of that. I will also subscribe what Diana was saying, that I think training is fundamental. It has existed for, for quite a while. It needs to keep being there. I mean, and farmers are very aware that they need, need to be trained. We need advisory services for sure. We need help on that. Um, of course, we, we will need probably the help of the authorities to achieve uh, these uh, uh, correct systems, let's say, or have enough people to train other people and to also encourage and incentivize uh, and explain uh, certain new methods. Um, these new methods, of course, need to be affordable. I think also that uh, answers a little bit um, the question from Mrs. Rivasi. It's not that we don't want to stop using chemicals. I mean, we use the minimum that, that we can. The problem, I would say, I think that's the big answer that I can provide, is also, I think Diana mentioned, we don't have enough alternatives that can be safely, effectively, affordably, and they, yeah, um, available in the market that can actually cover the, the demand and can cover what let's say the gap that the chemicals or the hazardous pesticides will leave and okay, they can leave it, but what are we going to get in exchange and who is going to help us to get that? I mean, we probably there are a lot of ways, institutions, industry, I mean, we, we all want to, to collaborate in that regard, but first of all, yeah, we need something that we, tangible that, that we can use. And the last remark will be that talking about the time again, of course, I mean, we have now a proposal on the table that is saying that we need to change and we need to shift and we need to use certain things. But why aren't those things readily available or there is no legislation that actually provides to be really available in the market? Maybe that should have been done as well five or ten years ago or considered by the institutions or the legislators. I don't know. The thing is that we cannot just consider certain tools or being finalizing or mid-term with certain legislation for certain products at the same time that we are trying to implement this legislation because that is not going to work, especially in the tight deadline that we have until 2030. I mean, maybe that should have been previewed before setting this, uh, this legislation because as Mrs. Revasi was saying, we already knew that there are okay, some things that needed to be improved. Uh, Sorry if I extended too much, but I wanted to put it no in worries. context. Thank you. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna zoom in on on two things that you mentioned, which is the availability of alternatives and also the support that farmers get to um, 
yeah, to implement these. So let's talk about alternatives first with uh, Jennifer, who's uh, the expert on that. So maybe you can walk us through um, a little bit how far do you think um, biocontrol can get us in um, being an alternative to a 50% reduce of uh, of chemical pesticides? Can we can we can we make up for all of that with um, with biocontrol? Bio and I also wanted to include a question from the chat, which comes from Jose Maria Castilla from ASAJA, um, who asks, um, what do you think the role of biotechnology and specifically, specifically new genomic techniques will be in achieving these political and aspirational goals? Um, so maybe you can also comment on that, Jennifer, which is, um, yeah, another alternative maybe that is not as uh, organic as uh, biocontrol. Okay, uh, thanks very much, uh, Julia. Um, on the NGTs, just I'll just pass that maybe to uh, Paolo, who I think is probably doing more on NGTs than we are in IBMA. Um, and uh, but I'll, I can talk about biocontrol if I may. Um, so in terms of uh, biocontrol and what we have, the, there has been a real challenge in the authorization process for biocontrol. Um, it follows the same process as chemistry, uh, which means it takes a very long time here, five to 10 years to get something onto the market. And as I think both Paula and uh, Diana have said, there's no, there are not enough of them today. Um, that said, there is a huge amount in the pipeline. And um, when we look at just what to submit, so just what is available for submission, um, fully developed, ready to use, um, we have between 2023 and 2025, 75 new active substances and a further 59 um, that are extensions of existing uses that are, that are already planned and already available. The challenge then is to get them through the authorization process. And as IBMA, uh, we have been asking for a faster authorization process for biocontrol to allow provisional authorization for biological control, um, and indeed to allow more, more facilitated label expansion um, for biological control. Um, we've also been asking for more resources and experts dedicated to the evaluation of biological control. We have it there, it's, it, it, it's ready. The question is getting it onto the market. And then once we've got it on the market, as both Paula and Diana have said, what we then need to do is work together to actually be able to put that into programs and make that work in the field because it works field by field. So no field is the same in any, uh, in any farm and how one actually applies the biocontrol, how it actually fits in that particular bit actually requires a little bit of um, uh, working with it um, to ensure that you actually have the, um, the optimal results. So in terms of availability, we really are relying on the commission to speed up the access to market for, um, the, for the active substances that are there in the system or indeed just about to enter the system. In terms of advice and, and training, we need to work together with farmers and advisors um, and manufacturers to actually create those um, solutions in the field. It's one thing to have the product, you actually need to then um, put it together with everything else. Um, one other point I'd just like to make, if I may, is that this isn't new 
the biocontrol. Where it's there and where it's used, it's used over huge areas, thousands and thousands of hectares, millions of hectares. Um, and I'd like to just pick on one example, if I may, in uh, uh, in in Spain, um, in Albufera, where rice, there's a lagoon um, in the Valencia Delta, Albufera, and uh, it's about 16,000 hectares. And over the course of 20 years, it has moved completely to biocontrol using pheromones to control um, the rice stem borer. Um, and this is a this is work work between the manufacturers, between the farmers there, um, with the Valencian regional government, uh, working with advisors. And, I, and now people don't use standard insecticides, they only use pheromones. And you've seen a tenfold increase in uh, the pairs of mating um, birds in the uh, in the lagoon. And uh, we've seen a huge um, impact in terms of productivity uh, where um, farmers are able to grow rice in the same uh, levels as they, they were before, um, but with the uh, aid of uh, biodiversity. So thank you. I think you've uh, inadvertently actually uh, already answered a question from the chat, which came from Bill Witz from the Consumer Choice Center, who's saying biocontrol is an interesting alternative to chemical crop protection, but won't you be confronted with similarly lengthy regulatory approval processes <coughs> that current land protection products are? So I think you've uh, you've talked us through that a bit. Um, so let's quickly get back to the NGT question, maybe. I'm going to have um, just two short answers on it, I'd say from Martin and Paula. So, um, Martin, maybe you first, what do you think of uh, NGTs as an alternative to uh, kind of cushion the blow of pesticide reduction? Yes, so um, I think it's important to not try to replace uh, one pesticide active substance by once one approach. Uh, this is uh, what we regularly hear um, from uh, the farming community. If you ban one active substance, give us one solution. Uh, it's much more complex than that. What we have to do is to do integrated pest management, is putting a whole set of um, uh, preventative measures to avoid the pest from occurring. Um, and biocontrol, well, we don't see it now anymore, but it's uh, on the IPM pyramid behind uh, Jennifer Lewis. We see biocontrol is almost the top of the pyramid. And then the last solution is um, um, is uh, chemical pe synthetic pesticides. And then about NGTs, uh, from what we observe, uh, we're not experts on NGTs, but what we observed with uh, uh, GMOs um, that were uh, resistant to pests, like BT maize, uh, is that the pests quite quickly, in just a few years, circumvent the resistance of the crop. So then the industry has to produce a new uh, GMO, and it will be the same with NGT. Um, and then it means that the farmers are again dependent on uh, the seed or agrochemical industry. Generally, it's the same companies. So if we think in terms of allowing the farming community to be more independent with regards to the tools they use, um, a lot of uh, emphasis has to, to be given on preventative measures. And for the moment, to our knowledge, there is no uh, pest-resistant NGT that is uh, at a, a very advanced stage um, in the companies. Most of them are herbicide-tolerant um, crops. So once again, it's it's not so much in the interest of uh, uh, the companies, apparently, to develop that. 
And I just wanted to warn you, uh, the experience with the GMOs shows that it's uh, the, that the pests will circumvent the, the resistance uh, and that we need a whole set of preventative measures uh, and not simplistic solutions like, uh, uh, like NGTs. Okay, so let's hear from Paula, I think. Or would you like to pass on to Diana, who I think also has some things to say? Okay, I'll pass to Paula first. And I will... then you can pass on. Yes, thank you, Julia. No, I wanted just to mention one thing that caught, caught my attention from, from what Martin said. Um, I will need to check among my 22 million farmers, maybe who is actually saying that the one-to-one -one substitution is actually the way, because uh, as far as I know, we have always said the opposite. That, um, and I think uh, IP integrated pest management in particular is a very good example of that, that actually as... Um, also, for example, DG Agri was telling us the other day, we completely agree that uh, when we have tools at hand, we don't necessarily have one substitution, one candidate for one, um, one, one replacement for, for, for the other, let's say. Uh, we can have a lot of uh, tools in the, we would love to have a lot of tools available under integrated pest management that we can actually combine and allow the use of chemicals as a last resort, as it is indicated in the currently in the hierarchy of the of the integrated pest management, and particularly on NGTs. Before giving the floor to Diana, the only thing I will mention: I am not the expert in Copangojac. I have another colleague that is dealing um, mostly full time on that, but uh, we feel that it's a potential potentially good uh, tool. Let's say. Uh, based on, on science, I, I'm not going to enter into the debate of the GMOs or non-GMOs. Our feeling is that it's not a GMO, but I'm not sure if it's... Uh, we can spend hours discussing probably about that. The, the thing that we see is that, of course, as every other tool, as I was saying before, it has its pros and cons, and that needs to be carefully assessed, put in a legislation and regulated ad, uh, adequately so to ensure that the use is safe, that the consumption is safe, that everything is uh, as, it, as it should be to protect everyone and provide the high quality products. But yeah, please, Diana, the floor is yours. If that's okay, yes, I will just add a little bit uh, onto that because we have uh, discussed NGTs quite extensively in, uh, in uh, seizure. Um, I, I don't believe and we don't believe that uh, NGTs are going to be the are going to create the magic seed, the one that you plant that, and then you don't have to do anything and everything will be, uh, it'll be solved. It is one instrument that fits in a more general farming management that needs to be uh, also aiming towards sustainability. Um, when it comes to the industry, the industry has not developed at this moment, especially for the European market seeds that work also on uh, plant protection because there is no market. Why would we develop seeds if we have don't have a market where to sell them? And in the rest of the world, they can sell GMO seeds, but they are also selling uh, NGT seeds and doing a lot of field work in that. And from a lot of the research that I have done, where NGTs are also applied and uh, integrated into, for example, regenerative agriculture practices, no-tilling, uh, the results that can be achieved, even when it comes to the use of pesticides, are incredible. You can start using only biopesticides, and 
that is the system that we need to be aiming at, knowing that we will have for the diversity of farming that Europe uh, requires a complexity of answers. And if science is giving us a possible new tool to add to our toolkit, I really feel that we should be enabling the system to do so instead of fearing that it's not going to solve everything. Of course, it's not going to solve everything. There is nothing that is going to solve the complexity of this problem with one snap of the fingers. But the more we add in to the opportunities that farmers have, the more we can actually enable them to go towards a transition. Thank you. Thank you. Some interesting uh, insights, definitely. So let's, um, you already mentioned it earlier, Diana, the um, the support for farmers in in making the transition to uh, or away from chemical pesticides rather. So Michelle, maybe let's turn to you. Um, we have a question from the chat from Corrado Finardi, who asked, where will be the money to fund the finance uh, in the transition? IPM, so integrated pest management, and more skill intensive practices require money. So what do you think? Uh, where could, where should, where could money come from to help fund this transition? Could it be the pesticide tax that um, your party colleague Sarah Wiener also proposed? Mm. Uh, just uh, I come uh, before uh, about OGM or NGT. Uh, warning, warning, warning. Because you believe I am scientific. Uh, and when I hear you, you believe that is extraordinary to have NGT seeds or before it's OGM seed. It's the same, it's the same. You have NGT seeds resistant to pesticide or you are NGT seed who produce pesticide. So it's the same for the, for the people, for the biodiversity, for the, uh, for the environment. No, I don't believe that the technology can resolve all the problem. Bon. That is the first thing that I want to say. Second thing, it's about how can we help farmers to make transition? And you see, Sarah Wiener proposed a tax, a tax to help uh, to make transition because uh, we have the same thing uh, when you are in conventional uh, uh, process and uh, we want to go to organic process. Uh, you have some years and it's very difficult for the farmer. And uh, I think it's good to propose tax and also to push uh, each member state to take in the pack second pillar to help this agriculture. You see, it's not too, too white, too black. We must find together a transition and to, we must help the, uh, the farmer. But uh, the solution for me, it's also in the chain of the production. You see, you have big industry on pesticides. And there is a link with, we say in French, cooperative. And it's a cooperative, we, we sell seeds, we sell pesticides, we sell 
phosphate and so on. And so the farmer is, is like that. They, they can have another way uh, to, uh, uh, to follow what uh, the cooperative want to sell to him. So we must cut that if we want reduce and if we want uh, uh, bring some uh, uh, advice uh, to help the farmer. So at your question, there is a tax uh, for the farmer to make transition. It's a proposition of Sarah Winner. Okay, thank you. Let's uh, maybe turn to Diana. What do you think in terms of funding? There's out there the proposition of a tax, as we just talked about. There's, as Michelle also mentioned, um, the Commission's approach, which is to uh, propose to member states that they take money from the CAP, the Common Agricultural Policy. But a lot of people also say that the CAP already has a lot of things on its back, so to speak. It already has a lot of functions to fund. So what do you think, where should funding come from? And also maybe what should be done with it? What would actually help farmers? I would say that the CAP already has a lot to fund and a lot that needs to be funded where pest management is one of the elements in which we are kind of still behind and where we need to do, where of course we need to advance. There's probably maybe one thing I have managed to agree with on uh, with Michelle about is actually that the need for independent consultancy is very important. Um, historically, the people who train uh, farmers, the people who tell farmers what to use are the people who are selling them the products. And this, of course, creates a conflict of interest in which we can agree that it's probably the not the most uh, the method or the methodology that is going to give us the best optimal solution. So even the opportunity of thinking that we need to be able to train independent bodies and we need to train and give farmers knowledge on what they are using and how they're using that independently from the people who are actually selling the product, I think is very important. Um, using funds from the CAP means stretching a budget in which farmers are already struggling uh, and an and that has already been reshaped quite a bit in order to improve the sustainability of farmers. In the eco schemes already, we have some um, schemes that actually work uh, in such a sense, but I don't believe that this budget is enough. So because this is a huge transition and because this is a transition from which then the, really our food systems depend, because if we don't help farmers transition, then we will not have a food system because there is no food system without farmers, then I really believe that we need to start thinking a little bit outside the box and how we uh, as a society of whole can make sure that this transition is, um, is just, really manages to reach every single farmer in, in Europe. The, I believe that there is space for all farms, small farms, big farms, family farm, corporate farms, cooperative farms, but that every single one of them needs to be given all of the tools that they need. Uh, so larger farms will have a greater capacity of investing. Smaller farms that are struggling with generational renewal will need a certain type of investment. What we need to make sure is that we're keeping, at least we're holding the farming community uh, strongly together because it's the only way that we can ensure food security. Thank you. Yeah, interesting point that you mentioned also that it's not just about funding, but also about um, support in terms of um, consulting farmers on uh, 
which approach to take or maybe how to shift away from chemical pesticides. Um, Jennifer, what's your experience with this um, as, uh, yeah, as kind of the other side offering alternative solutions to, to pesticides? Um, is, there, is there a need for more independent consultancy for farmers who want to switch to these things? I think there's certainly a, um, a need for independent consultancy, yes, for certain. Um, that said, I also think we have to recognise that manufacturers are often the people who know their product best. So they are important in giving advice. Um, so it's a bit of a double-edged sword. When you decouple advice and supply, yes, you're stopping any sort of inappropriate advice that there might be. Um, if I were to say it like that. But at the same time, you may not be allowing that knowledge, real product knowledge, to be accessible to the farmer. So my sense is that we actually need both, that we need to have independence that people can go to and say, right, well, this is absolutely independent, a bit like if you think financial services, um, then you're not going to buy financial services from the necessarily from the person who's um, who's actually selling them for a company. So there's that, that independence is very important, but at the same time, ensuring that we've got the immediate product knowledge about how something and the mode of action of it and how it actually works is also available to farmers. So we need to ensure that we actually have both those elements in the, in the equation. Um, I think if I can just touch on innovation as well um, and, and how we actually manage these sort of this, the funding, how do we actually manage this, this transition in terms of funds? Because as everyone says, the cap is already pretty full up and, and, and spent. Um, so I think there's an element in, um, in when we look at what next and sort of R&D funding, that instead of looking too much at the, at the what, there is a lot of what there already. What we need to look at is the how. So how do we actually put all these things that we've been talking about together? How do we do it on the farm, in the field? And as you said, Diana, can we just not touch every farmer? We should be. We should be touching every farmer. But the only way one does this is with actually farmer to farmer networks, because a farmer actually, in my experience anyway, learns by looking over the hedge. He talks to the guy next door, the next door village, the, the next door farm, mum and dad, you know, the brother, the cousin, whatever. The chap is known in the distribution for the last 40 years. That, that's how it works. That's rural life. That's not just farming. That's rural life. And we need to engage with that. And there's a very good um, example that organic farming uses. And there's no reason why we can't learn from this for all farming, um, where I think it's called, I think they call the group Innovative Farmers, I think is what, what they call the group. Um, it's, it's sitting in the UK, but it, you know, there's no reason why there aren't there. I'm sure there are lots of them all over the place. But in this particular group, what they do is they take a problem. So one of them says, I, I'm, you know, I, I can't grow my maize in, in this particular soil or whatever. And then, then they look at it together and they come and they maybe have 10 of them together in a, with a university usually, plus maybe a distributor, a couple of manufacturers, and they look at the problem. They say, okay, what can we do? And then they try it out in their fields and then they look at it again. And so it's actually a sort of iterative process on the farm with people who understand it um, working together. And there's no one saying, oh, you must do this or you must do that, because actually they're trying to work the answer out together. Um, collectively come up with something that really starts to work. And then 
all those people learn at the same time. And that's also really encouraging. The advisors get better as well because the advisors learn from what's happening on each farm. So do the researchers. And then they're going to research something that's actually even more useful next time. So I think this interaction of people and actually using this innovation funding, but instead of using it necessarily for the what, let's start using it for the how, because it's it's the how we need. We have the tools in many cases. Yes, we have to get them authorized and we have to look at policies, but that's fixable. That is actually fixable if there's really a political will to fix that bit. But what we really need time and money focused on is actually what's in the field, because you only get one crop a year. You only get one season. And if you miss that season, you've lost the whole year. It's not like any other business farming. You get it once, once a year in this northern Europe anyway, in northern southern Europe. Um, so actually, you need to use that year every single year. You can't waste a single year. So we need to be putting that practice and how to do it. We need to put that in place now with innovation money. Thank you. Thank you. Some interesting insights there into how, yeah, how rural life actually works on the ground. I think also important to remember in these kind of Brussels-based discussions. Um, Martin, I was wondering about your take as well on funding and support for the transition. Um, Switzerland, for example, has introduced a program through which farmers receive financial compensation for a certain percentage of reduction in the use of pesticides. So a certain amount of financial aid is tied to a certain reduction of pesticides. Could this be a good model for the EU or EU countries as well? Or is it too kind of focused on incentivizing the reduction and not focused enough on supporting actual alternatives? What do you think? Um, yes, I think it's a good program. Uh, we have to see how it is funded. It can be funded by a pesticide tax. Um, in Denmark, for instance, there's a pesticide tax already for uh, uh, many, many years. It's working well. The most toxic pesticides are taxed more heavily, and this uh, helps farmers, um, uh, directing farmers towards the, the less toxic solutions. Um, and such a program is good. I think it's good to reward farmers for reducing pesticides. On the other hand, I, I wanted to, and now I'm taking my scientific hat, um, to, to stress that there's a breadth of publications in the EU and also a series of examples at farm level uh, showing that you can reduce pesticides without reducing, without significant reduction in yields and also without a reduction in farming, farming's, uh, farmers' profitability. I think this is very important to say uh, because um, here, from what I hear here around, around the table, we need money to, to support farmers, but the first beneficiaries of uh, reducing pesticide use uh, is farmers for the health part I already mentioned, but also for their uh, profitability. Uh, pesticides are costly uh, and, and in many, many cases, and we speak with farmers regularly, uh, pesticides is also an insurance for them. Um, there's this fear that if you reduce pesticides, you will reduce your profitability, but uh, it is not necessarily the case. It has, it is knowledge intensive. I think we all agree here about that. Um, but per se, there are already a lot of alternatives available, um, and many of them are, are uh, let's say, uh, uh, independent from the industry. You know, like, uh, longer-term crop rotations. Uh, including uh, more diversity of crops and so on. 
um, but it's uh, it's also to the benefit of the farmers' uh, financial situation. Thank you. Um, I'd like to include some more questions from the chat. So there's one to Michelle, um, and there's Michael Clark asking, do you think there's a risk that the legislation is pushed back indefinitely, given the tone from the current Agrifish Councils yesterday, so the meeting of EU agriculture ministers, um, where they talked about yield drop, about food security concerns, um, and if not, what timelines do you expect for the approval and the adoption of the legislation? Maybe, and maybe I can just add from my side, are you optimistic that we're going to have this legislation before the upcoming EU elections next year? Alors, uh, the Commission and the European Parliament speak a lot for this legislation. Uh, the problem is the member state. You have uh, you have speak about that. Uh, I hope that uh, we can find a compromise. A lot of compromise uh, to to make a succeed of this regulation because it's a, a way of the future. Uh, you see, when we have voted uh, the cap, uh, the Green Party are not very happy uh, because the cap uh, is not uh, in line with Green Deal. Uh, the vote of a cap is not in line with uh, uh, biodiversity. It's not aligned with to support um, a transition of agriculture. So, this text, if we succeed to find in the trilogue where there is council, uh, parliament and commission uh, we succeed to have a, a, a good trilogue to find a good uh, compromise to reduce pesticide to help the farmer uh, to uh, to be in line with uh, uh, green gas and so on and climate and biodiversity and so on. It's a good thing, but actually. I am not very, very sure because member states, some member states are very uh, against this regulation. Because uh, uh, you see, in France, when we, are, we have the problem of S methylachlor, you see, it's a pesticide, it's a herbicide. And uh, the, 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 the agriculture ministry push. Uh, the uh, uh, French agency to not uh, exclude ban this pesticide. It's incredible. It's a, a politic against science. If we see that, you understand why member states are not very for the transition. So it depends of uh, the politic. Uh, uh, position of uh, member state and uh, 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 member state and the European Parliament. I hope so we succeed, but uh, now I am not sure. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Some uh, like mild optimism there. I'd say. Um, I take one last question from the chat. 
uh, and ask for a very short answer um, from Martin. Um, there's Marie-Cécile Damap, uh, who's asking, aren't pesticide alternatives more than biocontrol products, but also agronomical practices, precision farming, plant breeding, biostimulants and biofertilizers? Maybe you can comment on that uh, very briefly. Yes, I think we, we we already discussed this and also agreed with uh, also with the farm, farmers uh, around this table that it's much more uh, complex than just biocontrol. It's a lot of preventative measures, building fertile so soils, crop rotation, uh, using resistant varieties and so on. Uh, so it's a whole complex system. And this is where clearly there's a high need of investing uh, money in uh, providing uh, independent high quality independent advice to support and reassure farmers uh, in the transition because this uh, is uh, one of the most challenging parts of uh, of the sewer proposal thank you that was very efficient um okay i'd like to use the last few minutes that we have to do a quick uh, wrap-up round um and kind of ask each one of you very briefly like um 30 seconds per person, I'll say, so I'll keep it short because uh, we only have a few minutes left. But I'd like to ask everyone, let's say a, a genie or your wish grantor of choice came and granted you one wish for this uh, SUR proposal, the Sustainable Use of uh, Pesticides proposal, uh, anything that you could include or scrap from the proposal, you have one wish, uh, what would it be? What would you like to see if, if it could be anything? So, uh, Michelle, maybe let's start with you. What would you like to see in the proposal? Can you hear me well? Michelle? Uh, yeah, sorry, can you repeat the question? Uh, I was asking if there's one wish that you have, uh, you have one wish for uh, what would you like to have included or not included in the SUR regulation in the end? What would, what would be your wish? Uh, I would like that all the farmers are in organic. Uh, we, because for me, the future, it's the future for biodiversity, it's future for health, it's future for the climate. So the agriculture must be organic now. Okay, that was brief. Uh, so the genius flying to Diana next, what would be your wish? As an organic farmer, that that not be granted, but I'm putting on just my seizure hat that um, that farmers are provided with viable, reliable, and affordable solutions. We want to, uh, to achieve a transition to more sustainable plant protection, but we need to make sure that the solutions are accessible on our, all markets, that they are reliable in the sense that they actually are effective and can help us in what we are trying to achieve, and that they are affordable so that they don't completely turn over the profitability of the farm. So I would say that that would be my triple wish in one. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, genies do grant uh, triple wishes usually, so it's not far off. Uh, Paula, let's turn to you next. Yes, I will be very quick as well. I think my, uh, my or our biggest wish from Copan Kotaka in this regard will be 
that this regulation, if we need to, if we are required to do some uh, some reductions, adaptations, that every these adaptations that we are required to do are as well sufficiently adapted with a good scientific basis to national, regional, or even farm realities in the EU. Okay, perfect. That was very brief. So, Martin, let's turn to you next. Okay, so I will say two. One for the health and environment perspective is that I think that even the Saravina proposal for 80% reduction in the most hazardous pesticide is not enough. It should be 100. It's only a group of 40 substances that are extremely toxic and that according to EU law should already have been uh, very much phased out from the market since 2015 and member states do not respect this uh, part of the regulation. And the second is um, to have um, a more ambitious and more obligation um, for the member states to have really high level farm advisory services with more relations between countries uh, and also at regional level to really adapt it to the pedoclimatic conditions. I think this is really a key to the success of this tool. All right. Yeah, I think 100% uh, reduction pesticides for hazardous pesticides is probably something that you would need a genie for, for it to happen. Uh, but I did say you have one, so um, that's a good wish. Um, so yeah, last but not least, let's turn to Jennifer. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yes, perfect. Okay. Um, two very two two wishes, if I may. Um, the first is that we have a definition, a legal definition of biocontrol, because if we have that in the sewer, we can actually use that to actually speed up authorization of this group of products to provide those alternatives to farmers. And the second, I'd like us to focus on the positive targets. Why not focus on the positive targets for biocontrol? their indicative positive targets in the sewer, let's get behind those. Let's provide the expertise, let's provide the advice, let's get the advisors working together with all the other practices to actually make positive targets instead of worrying about what a reduction target might be. Thank you. Okay, thank you to everyone. Um, so we're almost at the end. It's just left for me to thank all the panelists for the very interesting and lively discussion. And also a big thank you to the audience for your interest, for coming and for all the questions in the chat. I do have to say it was a particularly active chat today with lots of interesting questions. I'm sorry if your question couldn't be included. Um, of course, at Directive in the future, we'll keep you updated on everything on the SUR and everything agri-food otherwise as well. So uh, follow that on directive.com. And yeah, uh, I'll see you next time and I wish you a nice day.